Hello there, and welcome to Common Rider AA, the podcast where we watch and review episodes of Common Rider Kiva. I'm Anna, and this is my co-host, Adam. Uh, we are watching episodes 34 and 35, Noise, Melody of Destruction, and New Arrangement, Flying Rose. Oh, now, upon further reflection, the, the title of episode 35 seems very fitting. And that it's a new arrangement and the bloody rose gets infused with like a new prayer. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and then Watru just starts fucking flying. Yeah. He uh he summons up his Fangire form. I, I think that's that is what that is. Like his his winged dragon form is his Fangire form. I I guess, yeah. We saw it earlier in the movie, but I think it had a much better outing here than it did uh in King of the Castle and the Demon Realm. Yeah, it's titled as Flight Style. Oh, huh. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and jump in. Episode 34, Noise, Melody Destruction, aired September 28th, 2008, written by Toshiki Inoue, and directed by Takao Nagaishi. Well, episode 34 begins with Wataru making and eating a cake in celebration of having its heart... Of having his heart broken by Mio. Watar tries to see the silver lining in the situation by noting that one's first love is almost always bittersweet and that this is a step towards adulthood. This is just so sad. Like, it kind of borders on pathetic. <laughs> Shiska trots downstairs and tells Watar that he'll find someone else and maybe that someone is close by. Watar wonders if she means Kivat, cue the OP. So I'm sure there are things I could say about this, but I really want to get to the next scene. The next scene, which just... <laughs> that lives rent-free in my head. That, that it just... It, it just... This, this scene took space in my head years ago and refuses to leave. Like, between the congratulations, the fact, the fact, the fact that... The, the fact that Megami and Shizuka are wearing, like, normal, like, clothes. Then Wataru and Keisuke are wearing the goddamn sparkliest suits in the world. Let's get to it. It's so, it's so sparkly. Yes. In Cafe Maldemore, the celebration has expanded to include Wataru, Shizuka, Megami, and Keisuke. Wataru's friends congratulate him on having his heart broken for the first time. Keisuke is especially thrilled by this turn of events and how it allows Wataru to focus on fighting Fangire's Eskiva. It is the happiest Keisuke has been in three years. That means that not only is this making him happier than when he fell in love with the first time, fell in love for the first time. But apparently, something that happened three years ago was more happy to him than falling in love. God, it's, it's so good. It's just, it's, it's, it works because Keisuke is the way Keisuke is. Yeah, because Keisuke is as Keisuke does. <clears throat> this is the happiest I've been in three years. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. Uh, it's just, it fucking, it's lit. <laughs> This thing just slays me. Like, how is the comedy this good? I don't know. Uh, the implication that Watsuru asked Boss if he could rent out the cafe 
for a congratulations on getting your heart broken celebration. And Megumi, who who's horrifyingly enough the most socially savvy of the four of them, didn't go, well, hold up. This might be a bit enabling of some toxic behaviors and ideas that Watcher is going through. No, instead, she's like, congrats on getting your heart broken. <laughs> the jubilations are rendered null when Taiga walks in and is informed of the occasion. Taiga tries cheering up Wataru by putting down the woman who rejected him. And Wataru awkwardly tries playing it all off. I can't breathe! Taiga's such a fucking... He's so thorough, so fucking... I think this proves that Wataru and Taiga are brothers, because they're both kind of giant idiots. Watcher is the kind of person who will throw a party about having his heart broken for the first time. And Tyga's the kind of person who will invite his best friend to go on a date with him and his fiancé. And then step out from the date and just watch his fiancé and best friend hang out together. In the spinny cups. The fucking spinny cups. He doesn't like rides that spin. That's how you defeat the Fangire King. This, this man is the king of the Fangires. This man technically owns a company. He's been charged with the sacred duty of killing humans that progress human evolution. And he is scared of spinny rides. So he sent his best friend slash secret brother to go on the spinny ride during a triple date. With them and Tiger's fiance. <laughs> oh, it's so stupid. I love it. Oh. But yeah, onwards. We have to press on. Uh, at a theme park, Wataru is being a third wheel during a date between Taiga and Mio. If we didn't know better, this would seem like Taiga's setting Wataru up with Mio, right? It, it would, like, yeah. My god, I'm laughing so hard my nose is rolled up. I need to blow my goddamn nose to recover from this fucking scenario. It's so good. Uh, Taiga apparently invited Wataru along in order to cheer him up, while also being totally unaware that his engagement to Mio is the source of all this trouble. I regret saying this word, but Taiga's a fucking cuck. It feels like he's inviting Wataru to steal Mio away from him. It does. I think, you think maybe he gets off on that shit? At this point, given how dense he is, it has to be willful and therefore, yeah, I think he does get off. I think he, I think he's into NTR. <laughs> I can't breathe. Oh no. We're three bears. We're three bears in. <laughs> this may be the episode that finally kills Anna. Anyway, Wataru and Mio ride on some spinny cups and have a painfully awkward moment as Mio again tries assuring Wataru that he's the one she loves. Wataru, I like. Yes, I, I agree. I also like. I also. <laughs> I also like Taiga. <laughs> it's such a, 
They're all such fucking idiots. <laughs> the thing is, that means this means they get it from Maya. Oh my god. That has to be it. This isn't this isn't this isn't even a Toyo's a Toya's fault. This isn't a Toya's fault. This is Maya's. Maya has the dumbass gene. It was recessive, but oh, <laughs> dumbass gene. Oh god. Okay, we we gotta press on. Do we? We we've barely even begun. We have to press on. After the spinny cups, the trio contemplate what attraction to visit next. Hey, uh, Wataro, Mia, why don't you go through the tunnel of love for me? I'm not, I'm not a big fan of boat rides, so the two of you go into the tunnel of love. Uh-huh. As the three of them walk along, a man fleeing Keisuke charges through them and takes a part-going woman hostage with a broken bottle. Keisuke faints surrender, only to use his button ring as a projectile to let the woman free of the crook's grip. Keisuke lays down some smackdown on the dude, who, but gets interrupted when a figure wearing camo pants comes rushing in to beat the criminal, and then Keisuke with some well-placed kicks. The camera goes onto the newcomer's face to reveal that it was motherfucking Kengo with a new hairdo. Yeah, it's... it's it, this... These two episodes introduced, well, reintroduced, <clears throat> gave us two edgier versions of, of characters that already existed. We got edgy uh, Kengo and edgy Maya. Well, I don't think she was, Maya was edgy. She has an eye patch. That's edgy. No, I think she was more of a hermit than edgy. Hermits can be edgy. Okay, fine. In Cafe Maldemore, Shima introduces Kengo to Megami and Keisuke as a new member of the BSO. Keisuke demands to know why an amateur like Kengo was taken on, only to be smacked in the face by the lad himself. Apparently, Kengo's hand is fucked up enough that he can no longer play the guitar, but apparently doing just straight-up combat and using delicate machinery like the... Uh, like 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 Eeks, uh is a okay. Like I mean I, I I mean I get it, but it's just kind of funny that yes, your hand will never be the same. Learn kung fu. <laughs> the new Kengo, who I am going to call Angry Tate, taunts Keisuke for being unable to dodge an amateur's punch. Uh, later, Wataru tries talking to Kengo and congratulating him on his surprise recovery. Kengo brushes him off and dismisses Wataru as a false friend. Kengo's no longer the soft boy we once knew. He's, he's no longer the nice punk rocker. Now he's an edgy bounty hunter. It's been like three weeks. Like, what happened? Yeah, I know, right? At Maldemore, Megami remarks on how much Kengo has changed, having even lost his Kansai accent. Shima explains that the accent was a front that Kengo used to make himself seem livelier. I'm glad they had that scene. Like, I mean, obviously the scene was for the kids that didn't remember Kengo's accent, but I cannot pick apart accents in other languages because I can barely pick apart accents in English. Mm -hmm. So, like, it was good to see that so we can know, okay, so that's a character trait that's going on there. Right. It's, it's noticeable, but yeah, to a non-native speaker of Japanese, I can definitely see that. Keisuke asks whether Angry Tate will be an asset to the BSO. 
Shima responds by saying that people who lose their dreams tend to awaken to new power, which is kind of a wild-ass sentiment. Yeah, it's like, I only recruit people who are at their lowest moments so I can mold them into something stronger. This may be meaningful only to people who who know about Berserk, but Shima is like the god hand. He only turns people who are at their lowest possible points into apostles. In a building called the Evolved Lifeform Research Lab, a woman awakens in a cell. Otherwise, damn it doesn't combine into a nice little acronym. Elorl. Elorl. Meanwhile, Elorl. <laughs> this woman awakens in a panic and rushes to the bars, screaming to be let out. A man in a lab coat walks up to her cell and demands that she be quiet. The man tells the woman that she will help in securing more funds for his research in a way that he doesn't really elaborate on. The woman screams some more, prompting the man to push a button that triggers some mechanism into electrocuting the woman. As she's shocked, the woman goes into a fangire form and slumps on onto the floor. So this fangire is the horsefly fangire? whose true name is The Decaying Fish and the poetry anthology Filled Cradle. Huh. Which I think has some metaphorical significance. The, she is the cradle, and all the fangire juice being poured in is like the poetry anthology, something of value, but also The Decaying Fish, something rotten and putrid that's corrupting her. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I believe... Her human identity's name was Kaede, but they do that thing where they never actually mention the what the the person names of a fengar are. So, yeah. And uh, the actress is uh, Tomomi Miyashita, who hasn't really done anything else with Toku. Later, the scientist who we saw earlier, whose name is Professor Kanda, is briefing Taiga on his research the goal of which is to consolidate the inherent abilities of different organisms into humans. Sensing the potential benefit of this research to the, to the Fangires, Taiga decides against killing Kanda and elects to actually invest in his project. But even in the wacky world of Kiva, I think the concept, the, the, the core conceit of Kanda's research is, is pretty stupid. Except it works. It works. He's able to take <clears throat> the strength of one creature and just slurp it right into another creature. Yeah. But the way he phrased it about inherent abilities being transferred, it sounded like he wanted to create the X-Men. Hey, what if what if I could take this frog, slurp all the frog juice out, and shove it into a human, and now that human can jump good like Samurai Jack? Yeah. That that's even for the the world of Kiva, which is already pretty bonkers. I I think that's kind of dumb. I I think the existence of the soul, which is something we see Castle Duran eat every time we kill a Fangire. I think the existence of the soul makes it a bit easier because it's probably just taking that soul juice. Yeah, but if you were to do that for a if you were to take a frog soul and plop it into a human. Would the human be able to stick to walls and, like, shoot their tongue out several meters? I mean, who knows where a frog's abilities come from? It could be from the soul. Okay, I'll just accept this. In 1986 at the Karenai House, 
Otoya and Maya are continuing work on what will probably become the Bloody Rose. Yuri sadly watches on from the lower floor. And again, I have to pose the question, does Otoya remember that Maya claimed to be Yuri during his bout of amnesia? I mean, he can't. It would have been mentioned otherwise. Maybe. I wish it were addressed. <laughs> so it's so sad. Yuri's role these two episodes is to look at Otoya and just be the saddest person in the world. Yeah. Otoya, do you want to eat something? No, woman. I'm completing my devil violin. In 2008, Wataru is ruminating on his collapsing relationships with Mio and Kengo. As he sits in his bathtub, the Bloody Rose's strings shake and a crack forms in the violin. Kivat and Tatsalot notice this and panic a bit until Wataru comes in and examines the violin. Wataru reasons that the Bloody Rose is scolding him for being too depressed all the time. Okay, so something interesting that I kind of thought about this time is that it makes sense that Wataru and the Bloody Rose have this connection because Wataru, like the Bloody Rose, is the joint creation of Atoya and Maya with a prayer locked into it. Oh, huh. Interesting. It's kind of like the Bloody Rose is like Watsu's older brother. In a manner of speaking, yeah. Uh, at a random cafe of some sort, Mio and Taiga are sitting together. Taiga makes some romantic overtures to Mio, but she runs off. Mio later meets with Bishop and asks him if it's possible for her to resign as queen. You, you would think she would have asked before. Like... This like maybe this is like the tenth time she's asked, but the first time Bishop was like, "Fuck, all right, why don't you just ask the fucking queen? All right, whatever. I'm busy. I'm gonna do some dissections on a live human being, probably. Yeah. And then maybe finally I organize the ice cream social. It has been yeah. Do you know how hard it is to organize an ice cream social? And the moment I get someone to come and RSVP, guess who shows up? The answer is Kiva. Kiva shows up. I have invited 17 different fangires to this gosh darn ice cream social. And every single time they RSVP, they run into Kiva. It's like his life is dedicated to preventing the, uh, the fangire ice cream social. Do you, do you know what my job is, Mio? Do you know what my job is as Bishop? My job is to organize the ice cream social. I take pride in that. I take pride in organizing the ice cream social. You, do you want to know how you were born? Like, over under, the odds are 100% your parents met at one of my ice cream socials. That is no joke. I'm responsible for about 100% of all Fangai relationships. I'm the goddamn Cupid of our people. And I have not been able to organize a goddamn ice cream social in 8 in 20 years, alright? It has been a mess. Do you know how I love ice cream? I love ice cream so much. And I love sharing ice cream with other people. I love how helping people connect with one another through ice cream. But I'm not able to because my life is a living hell. My life is a living hell and no one RSVPs. And if they do, they get killed by Kiva. So I'm stuck in a goddamn ballroom or conference hall that I've rented out with tons of melting ice cream. And no fangires to eat it. Do you know how that sad that is? How am I the... Uh, how... I quit. You know what? You're a bishop now. I'll be the queen. 
I can kill people. You organize the goddamn ice cream social. Go, organize it. Come on, see how easy it is. Come on, I'll be queen. Oh, I'm queen. All I do is kill people. Like once a month at most. Ah, fuck this. Go talk to Maya. Okay, yeah. <sighs> Bishop tells her that it's not possible and reminds her of a tragedy that befell the, f- the previous queen. He then recommends that Mio meet the queen who preceded her at least once. So, did this shock you? Did you think that Maya was dead at this point? No, no, I didn't really have any expectations here, uh, one way or another. I I mean, it, there wasn't any indication that she was dead, only that the queen's power had migrated to Mio. So, yeah, I didn't think that would necessarily mean Maya was dead. But yeah, in Conda's lab... The good professor tells his captive Fangar to go capture another one of her kind. She initially refuses, but is coerced into doing it when Conda reminds her of a device that he had implanted in her body, the same one that lets him electrocute her at will. The Fangar woman goes out and captures one of her fellows and brings him back to the lab. Conda then proceeds to drain the new Fangar's life force and forcibly implant it into the woman. While this happens, Kanda rants about how he is making the woman into the ultimate Fengire. Kanda's a little extreme, and also not very good at, preca- at precautionary measures. I mean, the electrocution thing was the only thing you really had. Yeah, we saw how that worked out. Yeah. It exploded her, and she was chill after, like, what, three Fengires in her? Yeah, maybe more. In the next scene... Bishop walks into Taiga's office. Taiga admits to Bishop that he is worried that Mio has someone else that she likes. Bishop tries reassuring Taiga by stoking his ego and stating that Taiga is the rightful successor to Dark Kiva, the armor of the Fangire King. Bishop goes on to say that the fake Kiva, who we know to be Wataru, will eventually be dealt with. This is pretty cool lore that they call him Kiva. But he's thought about as the fake Kiva, like someone, like if uh, the Belmonts from uh, from Castlevania, if like the whip was like, yes, that's the Dracula's whip, the family whip. And the Belmonts were like, yoink. <laughs> and they rebranded it the, fa- the vampire killer. Isn't isn't the whip in Castlevania like the soul of one of the... First yes. Belmont's his wife. Leon Belmont's wife or fiance or girlfriend ended up getting killed by a vampire called Walter, and her soul ended up being used to create the vampire killer. At a bar, Kanda is meeting with Shima. Shima warns Kanda that he should cease his experiments with Fangires and that their power will only be his undoing. Kanda laughs this off and notes that Shima's hard-headed refusal to use Fangires against Fangires was the reason that he left the BSO. Yeah, he tried to join he tried to join the Triple Wing organization, but they were doing some weird stuff with like cyborgs. So they're like, nah, fam. Kanda goes on to challenge Shima by sort of wagering that his pet Fangire is actually stronger than Ixa. This won't go horribly wrong, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely not. It'll go swimmingly. In 2008. Wataru silently apologizes to Otoya for damaging his magnum opus, the Bloody Rose. So, Wataru is currently sitting on a swing set. I want you to keep that in mind. 
for the person that shows up next. Bishop walks up to Wataru and asks Wataru why he has Kiva's armor. And then and then he sits down on the swing as well. And it's just so funny. And this is also, by the way, the first time I realized how sparkly his undershirt is. <laughs> yes. Like, it's so shiny. Yeah. And it's covered up by his scarf and his, like, jacket. But it's just so shiny. <laughs> Confused by the sudden stranger asking about his secret identity as Kiva, Wataru struggles to find the words to respond. Bishop also asks, uh, who was your mother and father? Yeah. So, like, it implies he might have an inkling of who it might be, but he probably isn't sure. Right. Bishop then starts attacking Wataru and assumes his Spangair form, the Swallowtail Fangair. Yep, his full, his true name is the aesthetic and a left foot sock. That's just gibberish. It's pretty dumb, yes. Fortunately for Wataru, Kisuke comes and henshins into rising Ixa, who knocks Bishop off of Wataru. Before Ixa can do much damage, however, Kanda's Spangire experiment comes in and engages Ixa. Bishop intuits that there's something off uh, about this newcomer Fangire. Wataru henshins into Emperor Kiva and fights Bishop as Ixa struggles against the experiment Fengire. Kanda's experiment nearly executes Ixa with his own sword, but Kiva tosses Bishop into her before she can deal a killing blow. Bishop disappears into a puff of scale powder and the horsefly Fengire runs away. Kiva then helps Ixa to his feet. You know, it's honestly really nice that... Uh... That uh, Nago, uh, Nago-san knows that Wataru is Kiva, because we can have interactions like that, like post-fights. Uh-huh. Uh, something I liked about this fight as well was that Bishop was not nearly as invincible as Rook. He's powerful, he's a lot stronger than the average Spangire, but his armor class isn't like 19, so they actually get some hits in on him, and it seems to have effect. And I felt I found that refreshing after the last general class Fangire we had was basically untouchable. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it makes sense. Rook was there to exterminate the other races. Bishop's here to plan ice cream socials. Yeah. It, plotting seems to be his thing as opposed to actual combat. He's there to scheme in the background and threaten to perform biopsies on people. As the horsefly Fangar runs away, she runs into Taiga. He questions her about her string of kidnapping other Fangires, but when she responds to his question with violence, he henchings into Saga. Saga lassos her with a laser whip and knocks her into a tree. Noticing that she's outclass, the horsefly Fangar GTFOs. I like that this is kind of a subtle way of showing how strong Saga is. Because he hasn't really confronted the heroes much yet at all. So now we get kind of confirmation that he's above the level of, of uh, Ixa. Before the episode ends, Mia walks into a cave and approaches a cloaked figure who she addresses as Queen. The cloaked person takes their hood off, revealing themselves to be Maya with an eye patch. So ends the episode. So the makeup on... Uh, Maya with an eye patch is actually pretty good because they they make her look older without resorting to things like 
making her hair white and and stuff like that. They like they just she just looks more tired. Her makeup isn't as vibrant or bright. Like they they do a lot. They do some really good job. They do a really good job with that. She looks a lot more pallid in comparison to her 1986 self. By the way, ha- have I mentioned uh, Mio and Maya's true names yet? I believe you have. Uh, Mio's was something along the lines of a dress like an isolation cage, and I think you said Maya's, but I don't recall it. That that was spot on, except it's cell instead of cage. Oh. Eh. And Maya's the blood relatives of the Grim Nua. Right, yeah, y- you told me. But, yeah, let's move on to our episode ratings. Who's your writer of the week? Uh, I'm probably going to say uh, Keisuke Nago. Because he he was so happy this episode. This was the happiest he's been in three years. (laughs) Uh, Mine is actually, believe it or not, it's going to be Professor Kanda. He's a stereotypical mad scientist and his methods are pretty reprehensible. But his inclusion in the story raises some interesting implications for the universe. He used to be with the BSO, but ditched them to pursue a more radical means of fighting the Fangires. And it also helped that his performance is pretty hammy and enjoyable to watch. Yeah, Professor Kant is very fun to watch because he he kind of he belongs in seventy one Common Rider. Yes. like this, he feels like a shocker mad scientist. Like Takeshi Hongo is gonna break in and be like, "Kanda Hakase, you will you were once a respected member of the science community, but now you've been taking energy from animals and implanting them into humans." That's reprehensible. Uh, who's your monster of the week? Uh, Kanda. For all we know, Kaide wasn't a bad fangire. Like, for all we know, she didn't feed. Maybe she was one of the people that fell in love with a human. Who knows? And it's like, dog, come on. The next episode suggests otherwise. My interpretation of that was that she was being driven insane by the power uh, inside of her, because... Who knows how many souls are sloshing up in there? The the previous time we saw like several souls together was when uh, is when we see uh, the six candle candelabra, that the six pillar Sabbath. Yes, right. it's like a candelabra type thing, and like those are mindless beings. So presumably, like it's a surprise she can even talk because she's basically a Sabbath in the shape of a man sized fangire. That's a fair point, yeah. Like all the clashing egos and consciousnesses are just grinding up against each other and just eroding each other's identities. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah, my monster of the week is Kanda because his methods are evil. Yeah. But to the tarot corner! I'm giving a reversed magician to Kanda. When reversed, the magician represents narcissism wasted potential, and impending failure. And I think these all apply to Kanda pretty well. Yeah, he... uh, I mean, I'm sure that if he just, like, took rabbits and put them in humans, he'd get pretty good results. He didn't have to go straight to, I'm going to smush together so many fangires. Slaps the roof of uh, uh, Kaide. This this bad boy can hold so many fangires. What's your episode rating? Give it a seven and a half out of ten. I, I think it's a pretty decent episode, but I think between some of the better ones recently, I, I think that these aren't as 
amazing as they could be. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. We got a fight with the newly revealed Fangire form of Bishop, who I'm who I mentioned I'm relieved to see does not have an armor class of 20. And the subplot with Fangire experimentation was also pretty interesting. I think I like the stuff that really that adds to the world building. It, that tends to be reflected in my episode ratings. Yeah, this does have a lot of good world building. It it shows. Sorry, I was away from my mic for a second. It shows this episode shows how much bigger the world is than we see it because we see a former member of the BSO. Uh, Kengo showing up having been trained implies a system of trainers, you know? Then we get more stuff with the Fangires. Uh, we learn more about how strong some are compared to others. We are now moving on to episode 35 of Common Rider Kiva. New Arrangement Flying Rose, which aired October 5th, 2008, written by the man, the myth, the legend, Toshiki Inoue, and directed by Takeo Nagaishi. We start things off with Wataru attempting to repair the bloody rose in his workshop, but we quickly cut to Mio addressing the eye patch hermit that Maya has become. This is interesting because this is the first time we see for sure what has happened to Maya in the present. Because we, we know where Jiro ends up. He's in Castle Duran uh, with his boys. Otoya is dead and apparently died when Watsuru was a baby or, or before he was even born. And Yuri uh, um, moved to a small town, opened up a grocery store, and then died of probably like a car accident or something. Uh-huh. And Maya is the only person we didn't really know much about what happens to her in the future. Like, she gives birth to Wataru, and she told Wataru stories about how brave uh, his dad was, and then she vanished. We didn't know why, or how, or if she was still alive. And now we get some confirmation about Maya, so we can look forward to see, like, oh, is this going to be what, what causes it, you know? Uh-huh. Like, now every fight she's in, we're going to be like, oh, is this when she loses her eye? Right. Mio tells Maya that there's something she needs to ask her and their conversation gets interrupted by the OP. After the OP, we go to Maldemore where Shima hands over the Ixa knuckle to angry Tate. Keisuke protests this, but since he's still wounded from the fight with the horsefly Fangire, he doesn't get to call the shots. Angry Tate knocks the shit out of Keisuke and cracks a mean joke about Keisuke being his pupil. He, he 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 mounts Keisuke like a goddamn MMA fighter. Yeah, he does. And just starts like grinding the Ixa knuckle on him. And, you know, that thing shoots incredibly powerful compressed air. Yeah. If he accidentally triggered it, he would have just blown Keisuke's head off. Yeah. They did not teach him proper trigger safety at the BSO boot camp. Back in Maya's hermit cave, Mio begs Maya to let her quit being queen. Maya explains that she can't do that and that it's the queen's power itself who d that decides who wields it. Maya then successfully intuits that Mio wants to no longer be queen because she's in love with a human man. Okay, so this is interesting because the apparent, according to what she said, what she says, the queen power left Maya because she was in love with a human man, uh, Otoya, while Mio is in love with what she thinks is a human man, but is actually a hybrid in Watu. 
So that, that implies a few different things, especially about the sentience and the knowledge that the queen power, which apparently is a separate entity we can talk about by itself, because the queen power must be somehow tied into like some invisible strands between all the fangires because maybe it's the reason it isn't leaving Mio is despite the fact that she wanted to live among humans for so long and was, yeah, it hasn't left her. So maybe she can tell that what maybe the queen's power can tell that Watabu is a half fangire and the child of the previous queen. Then that also implies a bit of intent because historically the queens and the kings have all been together, married, and have a child that became the next king or queen. Right. So wouldn't a queen that's refusing to marry the king, that's explicitly fall in love with a different person than the king, be the person, like, be make them unworthy of being the queen? Or maybe the queen's power considers Watu the rightful king. That's where I was getting to. Like, is there is there some sort of intent behind it where... The queen's power recognizes Watru as like a king candidate. And it's like, well, this one has the potential to become the king. Therefore, and because I guess the power knew somehow through the strands of time that Watru would eventually meet Mio, it was like, okay, she gets to have and keep the power because she'll be put in a position where she can choose between the two king candidates. Is that what's happening? Or is it just that? Mio, the person Mio fell in love with, is half Fangire, so it ha- doesn't disqualify her. That's interesting. I don't. That's something to consider. Oh, also, sorry, really quick. Maya also says that she doesn't regret losing. She's like, she, it was painful losing her powers, but she doesn't regret it, which I think is so sweet. Later, Shima's trying once again to talk Professor Kanda out of his Fangire experimentation. Kanda retorts that he is aware of the risks, but he is committed to making a better world through his experiments. Trying to tell him over the screams of the woman he kidnapped and did this all to. Yeah. Bishop later meets with Taiga and tells him that the scientist that Taiga decided to spare is actually involved with the horsefly fangire and the recent kidnappings of fangires. Yeah, Bishop just went up to Taiga and was like, so... This is probably the most you fucked up. Like, you fuck up a lot, especially in your personal life, because I'm not even going to touch that whole Watsuru Mio Taiga situation with the 10-foot pole, unless it involves me uh, forming a biopsy on Watsuru. But you really fucked up here, mate. Cut to Watsuru's workshop, and we see that Watsuru has pretty flawlessly repaired the Bloody Rose. He tries playing it, but notices that something is off. We time-zition to 1986, where Otoya and Maya are continuing to have unreasonably sexy violin crafting time, even as Otoya looks exhausted. Yuri tries calling for Otoya, but he doesn't respond, prompting her to tearfully run off. She runs into Jiro and presumably tells him what the deal is. And this is situation number one, that is the possible conceiving point, conceiving point of Megami. Like, not really, but I'm, at this point, I'm just going to joke about that whenever uh, Yuri and Jiro are just in the same general area. Okay. Jiro walks in on Otoya as he continues crafting the Bloody Rose. He remarks that Otoya has been charmed by a Fangire, 
and he goes on to say that Yuri loves him and is worried for him. Otoya brushes this off by stating that he needs Maya, and that Yuri wouldn't understand the state of mind he currently is in. So this is a giant dick move, but also so surprising coming from Otoya. Like, the the entire crafting arc has been odd. Like, it's, like not in a bad way, but in the way that Otoya is acting. Because, like, I once again, I believe that most of his flamboyantness is performative, but I do think he enjoys some of the performance. But this is Otoya... I think this is Otoya all ev- completely stripped bare. Like, everything he's saying is just from this very soul. And that it's so weird to see him like this because Otoya is someone that comes with barriers and walls. And this act of creation is just tearing all that away. Like, and it's not even necessarily a good thing. Yes, he creates the bloody rose and eventually uh, Wataru, but he's pushing his friends and his loved ones away uh, in, in these actions. And it's kind of scary. He's he's like a drug addict, kind of, in some of the ways he speaks about Maya and the Bloody Rose. Yeah, and he definitely looks like it too. He the, his makeup's done so that he has eye bags and looks pretty sallow and and exhausted. Yeah. In two thousand eight, Watu is ruminating on whatever the repaired Bloody Rose is lacking. The Garlu Saber swoops into the workshop and turns into Jiro who introduces himself as an old friend of Watu's father. So I don't know if this has been confirmed before, but this confirms that Watu does not know Jiro, uh, Riki, or Ramon. Right. He only knows them as weapons. Another cut to 1986, and Otoya has just put the finishing touches on the Bloody Rose. Before he can put the bow across the strings, however, Maya interrupts him and says that the most important thing is still lacking. A prayer. Cut to 2008, and Jiro says the same thing to Wataru. Yeah, it's good. They got to live on a prayer. You know, they're halfway there. Oh, whoa. Living on a prayer. Take my hand. We'll make make it, I swear. Oh, whoa. We got each other. That's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot. Anyway, in Cafe Maldemore, Wataru is wondering what sort of prayer Otoya put into the Bloody Rose when Taiga comes in. Taiga asks Wataru for his opinion on what sort of gift he should give to Mio. And when Wataru is like, they both look nice, Taiga just goes, perfect idea. I'll give her both. Also, the fact that, also, he already bought both of them. And everything I know about Taiga tells me he was just going to throw the one he didn't give to Mio in the trash. (laughs) He would have done that. Fucking bougie boy. He, he, he's the rich we must eat. Indeed. In Kanda's laboratory, the horsefly Fangir is continuing to be subjected to his experiments. She seizes Kanda by the collar, and Kanda responds by trying to electrocute her. She seemingly explodes, but is revealed to have become too strong to be affected anymore. Such a bad explosion, too. Yeah. It was pretty dopey. Yeah. And, like, the fact that you could see the explosion from the outside implies that the bomb, the electric device exploded, burst through her, created that giant explosion, but then she's just, like, healed, I guess? It's dumb. It's, it's pretty dumb. She reveals to Kanda that she was actually using him all along to become more powerful. She then kills him in the standard Fengar way. 
Yeah, so something that was interesting is that, or not not necessarily interesting, but just a neat design touch is that the Fang guy are like, you know, signifier, the stained glass thing on their jaws was her entire face. Oh yeah, and she looked pretty demonic when it when it showed up. It, it was really well done. At a public park, Taiga and Watu are waiting to meet Mio. A short distance away, Mio is headed in their direction when she gets ambushed by the horsefly. The horsefly notices power emanating from Mio and declares that she will take that power for herself. Taiga, how many humans did you eat to gain that sort of power? Hmm, I wonder, Taiga. Do you remember how many breads you've eaten in your entire life? That's Jojo's reference. Oh. Wataru and Taiga hear Mio scream, and they both rush over to see her unconscious and slung over the horsefly's shoulder. Taiga tries rushing horsey, but she bamps out in a puff of scale powder. Taiga then tells Wataru that he knows where the horsefly is headed, and that he will take care of the rest. Wataru insists on coming, and finally admits that he loves Mio too. Wataru and Taiga have a cool moment in which they each ride their motorcycles to Professor Kanta's lab. They split up, and Wataru finds Mio hooked up to Kanta's energy-draining equipment, with the horsefly on the other end, ready to drain Mio. Wataru throws a chair at the contraption, freeing Mio in the process, but incurring the wrath of the horsefly. Wataru tells Mio to run, and she does, allowing Wataru to call Kivat and Henshin into Kiva. This is sort of getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I kind of wish that... The fight against the horsefly thing was, you know, Mio leaves, Wataru Chenshin's and fights her. Then Taiga shows up as Saga and is like so angry at the horsefly. He ignores Kiva and just fights the horsefly thing And then Mio shows up in, in, as the pearl shell thing and they just all triple team the horsefly. Like that would have been good. That would have been interesting, yeah. Uh, but the battle moves outside as Taiga looks on from afar. He says that he will test Kiva's power, and he whistles, summoning a winged snake-like creature to knock Kiva away from his fight against the horsefly. The horsefly then tries running away, but Taiga henchings into Saga and executes the horsefly in the same manner he did with the, the tortoise Spangire. By the way, really quick, I, I was looking to see what the name of that snake creature thing was, and I see an error in uh, the episode thing is... Why didn't Taiga see or recognize the Kiva symbol on the side of Machine Kiva when he and Watch were riding to the research lab? Two things. Two things. One, that's not technically an error. And two, it's Taiga. It's Taiga. Of course he didn't see it. Like, he, he, he can't even see his nose. <laughs> he is so dense. All right, so the giant uh, worm snake monster is called a Kukulin. Yeah. K-U-K-U-L-C-A-N. Uh, it's based off of a fe- uh, feathered serpent from uh, from Aztec myth. Yeah, that, that was the vibe it gave me. Yeah, it's kind of linked to uh, Quetzalcoatl, uh, Kukumatsu. I haven't heard of... Uh, I-, I think I've heard of Kukulin before, but uh, never really did much research into it. Yeah, I think it also kind of lends credence to... Taiga being uh, the snake fangire, given the association with snakes so far. Uh, but yeah, meanwhile, Kiva's getting knocked around by the snake creature. He turns back into Wataru and seemingly falls unconscious. Back at the workshop, 
Totsalot notices the Bloody Rose's strings reverbing. Totsalot flies the Bloody Rose over to Wataru and plops it onto him, bringing him back to consciousness. Wataru rises to his feet and starts playing the Bloody Rose while reflecting on what Otoya's prayer was. We flash back to 1986, where Otoya plays the Bloody Rose. It becomes infused with his hopes and his desire to protect the music that resides within every human heart. The violin glows, and Maya tells him that it is complete. Otoya then finally gives the Bloody Rose its name. This, this scene is so good. Yeah. In 2008, Wataru plays the Bloody Rose and infuses it with his own prayer to find his own music so that he may grow stronger and then have his music help everyone find happiness. This new prayer causes the Bloody Rose to glow once again. Kivad and Tatsalot henching Wataru into Emperor Kiva, who further transforms into the Dragonhawk Fangire creature we saw back in the movie. I liked the shot of Emperor Kiva playing the, the Bloody Rose. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, plus just the parallel of them imparting the wish into the Bloody Rose. And it sort of shows the differences in the characters of Atoya and Wataru. Atoya ha- already has kind of grown a lot. He's already figured out his internal music and all that. And so he wants to protect the music of others. And then years later, first of all, the Bloody Rose has been doing that, helping Kiva fight Fangires who are preying in- on people. And then Wataru is using it because he wants to grow. He, he wants to figure out who he is exactly, which I think has been just such a major theme of this. Like, you know, Wataru at this point in the series even is completely different from Wataru in the first couple episodes. Because Wataru would never go to an amusement park in those first couple episodes. He would have never stood up to Taiga. And now he he wants to grow even more. And I think... The parallels behind that is, are very good because the, the violin that Otoya wanted to help other people's music is now helping his son find his music. Yeah, it's thematically consistent and I, I guess good on you, Inoue, for once. Both Maya and the arms monsters sense the sudden surge of power. Ricky notices a piece of Castle Duran's interior walls crumble revealing a sword embedded within the structure. Wataru then uses his Fangire form to soundly defeat the snake, and the episode ends with Maya falling to her knees and tearfully exclaiming that she wants to see Wataru again. So much. And also the implications of that, and sort of the implications of Maya being in that cave in the first place, because she doesn't regret what she did, and she obviously loves Wataru so much. So what happens that she can't be with Watsu anymore? Because she, because Watsu remembers Maya. Like you spent a, at least like five or six years with her, and uh, it's just so sad because she misses her boy. Yeah, that's sad, and that will feed directly into my writer of the week choice, which is going to Maya mainly for the mournful collapse Saki Kagami pulled off at the end of the episode. The writing itself seems to think that we haven't figured out that Maya is Watcher's mother, but because at least until it's explicitly spelled out, but the writing's on the wall. Uh, but what should have been a kind of a big surprise is kind of dampened since we already know what I as- assume will be a big reveal later on. But I think Saki Kagami really pulls it off and sells it. You know, dumb little kids watch this, so 
maybe yeah. some of them didn't pick it up or like maybe maybe it was i i, I don't know how to eh. like it was still a very good moment yeah who's your writer honestly what to do because t- straight up l- looking taiga in the eye being like i'm going to like yeah. saving mio transforming into his fangire form like of I think this was of his own free will for the first time. It was like right. he he controlled it in the movie, but he didn't transform on purpose. Mm. And just I could be remembering wrong, but didn't uh Arc turned him into into did his Legendorga infection thing and that turned him into his Spangar form, but Otoya intercepted him, flew into him, and uh that turned Wataru back to human form, then he went to Kiva, then to his Fengar form to fight Ark in the in the skies above Tokyo or something. Right. It's it's been a it's been a few months since we watched it. Yeah. But but still him going like what to do turning into his Fengar form, infusing the bloody rose with a new uh, with a new prayer. Right. Like oh, this show is so good. Well, this uh, this arc was very good, I think. Like I I, I gave the first episode a seven point five, but I I think the se- like spoiler alert, I'm gonna rate this episode much higher. And I think take these two episodes taken as a whole, like one of the best arcs in Kiva, probably. I'd say top five. I think I would agree, yeah. Uh but my monster of the week for episode thirty-five is going to be Taiga. He was incredibly dense to the point that he needed to be outright told by Wataru that he isn't the only contender for Mio's affection. Tiger Taiga is mad dumb. Yeah. Uh, my monster of the week—that's actually hard. There's there's a few. Like Kaide is one for you know parent. Like when I brought up that she may be innocent in the first uh, half of this episode, I forgot that she said she was using uh, Canada. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna give it to Kaide, the horsefly thing guyer, just because she, she was a monster. She she kidnapped Mio. Like damn. But to the tarot corner, I'm assigning the star to the concept of infusing the bloody rose with a prayer. The star is heavily associated with hope and altruism, which are ideals that correlate very well to Otoya and Watu's respective prayers. What's your episode rating? Um, my episode rating? Uh, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, it, it was just very good. The acting was spot on. Uh, the... Action was pretty good. One of my problems with the first episode actually was some of the action had some weird shaky cam, especially when uh, Kengo was reintroduced. Like, and it was just weird and kind of disorienting to watch. Like the action here was not—I mean, obviously not the best action we've I, we've ever seen from Kiva, but pretty decent ones. Uh, Storyline was very good, and uh, it was just such a solid se- uh, episode. Loved Wataru's growth in it. Teared up a little at the prayer scene. Oh, and we got Jiro interacting with Wataru. How did I forget about that? Yeah, that was also really good. Yeah, but they kind of ended it a little too soon, and Jiro never really explained who he was, aside from being a friend of Wataru's father. That is that is true, but... Hmm. Yeah. They, hopefully, I... The next episode preview at the end of 35 seemed to indicate that Wataru will meet the arms monsters oh. properly, but I may have misinterpreted that. I mean, at, at the very least, something's going to be involved with the sword they found, so... Yeah. 
that that that'll probably lead to some interaction with them. Uh huh. My episode rating is the same as yours, nine out of ten. I like the idea of the bloody rose being infused with the Karenai's hopes. Within the wacky world of Kiva, that might explain how it can sense Fangar activity. I also enjoyed seeing Fangar Wataru fighting the winged serpent. As far as Kiva has gone so far, this episode was pretty flawless. Yeah, th- th- these were some pretty good episodes. Like, I'd say if I had to, if I was forced to pick two episodes from Kiva to show, I, no, I, I almost said that if I had to pick two episodes out of context, and they couldn't be the first episodes to show someone to get them into Kiva. These episodes might be in contention. This and the time travel arc. Yeah. What? <laughs> Just so I can get people to know that, yes, there is a door of time. Yes, it does send you 22 years into the past. Okay. I was hoping for a bigger reaction for you from the door of time. <laughs> the door of time. I don't know. I just remember. I re- well, I just I remembered you really hated it. I did. And I still kind of do. But we're at the end of our episode today, this week, folks. Uh, Anna, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yes, I would like to plug Not Another DXT podcast. The podcast that I swear is actually going to be released one day. It's not a prank. I promise. It's not like an OnlyFans publicity stunt. No, but once again, if you email us at. Not another, not another DXD pod at gmail.com. If you email us before our first episode gets released, you will get free access to our OnlyFans. I don't know, guys. I think she spilled a shit. Listen, I, I swear our editor Jason is working on the episode. He'll be done with it soon. I promise. Okay. Uh, as for me, I, I, I do another thing on the interwebs. I'm on a podcast called Pokemon Primeval. We. It's an actual play tabletop RPG podcast where we use a variety of TTRPG systems to explore what the world of Pokemon may have been like across different eras and locales, ranging from like Sengoku era, Kanto and Johto, to the post-apocalypse even. Uh, If you like, you could find us on Twitter at double underscore common or just type in common writer AA. And we're there. We, we we tweet out a fair bit of stuff. If you want to come uh, take a gander, feel free. We're also on Anchor, and they distribute us all over the interwebs. Let's sign off. Hen! Sheet!